Good morning. What a good crowd assembled together. We actually have several of our number who are out, who are visiting and, and uh, traveling various places, but we are thankful that you are here this morning, thankful for another beautiful Lord's Day to be able to be together. Feels a little more like fall than anything out there maybe today. Uh, Hannah and I went to uh, college in Henderson, Tennessee at Freed Hardeman with a young man from Florida. Uh, you knew it because he wore flip-flops or sandals every day of the year, basically. Uh, and he always said that if you didn't like the weather in Tennessee, just wait, because tomorrow it'll be different. And it felt nice and wonderful yesterday and a little chilly this morning, but we're thankful that we can be together. If you are visiting with us, we are thankful that you are here. We've got a few in our midst, and we appreciate so much you being here this morning. We would invite you to stay for lunch in a moment. But if you're our members, one of our regular members, we're glad you're here as well. It's always a blessing to see smiling faces. We're thankful for those who are able to be back with us especially if you have been out for a while. We're very thankful to see our sister Faye up, uh, Purser up here to be with us uh, and be able to be out and many others who are here and share their smiling faces that encourages each one of us. It's a great day with a lot of exciting things. If you're like me, you're looking forward to lunch in just a few moments. Maybe you're like my friend Gabe Dixon. Gabe said, if you got to know the Dixons, uh, Gabe works 12-hour shifts for the city and he works days and nights, it kind of rotates. You may see him a couple services, then he'll be gone a couple services, and he'll be back with his schedule. And uh, he made sure and told me a week ago, he said, I'll be here next Sunday. My schedule will work out for lunch. So maybe you're like Gabe and like me, and you're looking forward to lunch. Uh, hope that you will be back with us again this evening for our service uh, as we worship together again. Maybe you're like my friend Brian. I don't think he even knew that he said it in class. Uh, but our young men will be presenting our services this evening. They'll be presenting the things they've been working on. And we hope that you'll be here not only to encourage them, but hopefully you will be encouraged by that as well. But Brian said this morning in class, I'm looking forward to Joel's lesson tonight. And there's not going to be one by Joel. So maybe that's a backhanded comment. I don't know. So what he was trying to say, I know, was I'm looking forward to Joel's lesson this morning and the boys tonight. But what he said, he's looking forward to mine tonight. So I see how it is. But that's all right. We're, uh, we're thankful that you're here this morning. Please stay for lunch. Please plan to be back with us this evening at 6 o'clock as we listen to our young men present some of their hard work. And we look forward to our time of being together. For a few weeks now, we've been talking about God's scheme of redemption. A few weeks ago, we talked about the fact that we can take comfort in looking at the Bible and seeing this, this big picture. You can open up to Genesis 1, you can turn to Revelation, and you can see this big picture of God's scheme of redemption. It's not haphazard. If you've ever studied the way the Bible was put together and the way that we have received the Bible over the years from the various manuscripts and things, it's a comforting study. I, I just saw the graphic again the other day on, on Facebook or Twitter or somewhere that somebody talked about how many uh, various old manuscripts we have of maybe a particular author like Shakespeare or something or somebody else. We have like several hundred, several hundred. You can talk about the thousands of manuscripts we have of the Bible. And when we look at that big picture and see it wasn't just thrown together, God has had a scheme of redemption for mankind. It's comforting. It's wonderful. And even last week, we talked specifically about God's simple plan of salvation. And, and we looked at some logical questions that come to a person's mind when you sit down with an open heart and an open Bible and study God's word. There are some logical questions. Why did Jesus die? What should I do? How must I, uh, what must I do to be saved? Some of these various things that we've talked about are very important. But another logical question, and this is kind of the end of our series, this particular uh, lessons, but another logical question that comes at the end of that is, now I've been baptized, so what? I mean, that's great, but what do I do now? And maybe the more important question is, I can't be perfect, 
So what do I do? I've obeyed this simple plan of salvation. I've done all these things that the Bible says that I should do to be saved. As we talked about at the end of the slide, the Lord adds us to his church. We become a part of the body. We begin to enjoy wonderful blessings that come along with that, such as having people to pray for us, such as having chances to be together, even in service and even at a potluck lunch. We, we receive blessings from being added to the church and being a part of the body of Christ. But I can't be perfect. So what do I do when I can't be perfect? I mean, that's great that I'm saved, but what happens next? Do I have to be baptized over and over and over again? If you've been to more than one service here, you know that's not the case. because We don't use the baptistry that often. But do I have to be baptized every time I mess up? Or am I just out of luck with one sin? Well, again, you can look around us and see all of us can raise our hand and say, no, we've messed up, so you're not just out of luck. You're not struck dead once you sin after you've been saved. So that leads us to our question for today is, what's a second law of pardon? This may be a phrase that you're not very familiar with. It's interesting sometimes, and as I look around the room and think about the many of you that work in various fields in the world today and, and different parts of the workforce, sometimes there are phrases or terms that we use that go along with a certain thing. And, and when you say it to somebody who you work with, it means something, but to someone else, you're like, well, I don't know what you're talking about. And that even happens in the church. Sometimes we say things or use a phrase that, that we think everybody knows, but that's not really the case. In fact, I think I may have shared this with you, but I, I did a lesson on this at Lake Hills before we left there. And there was a preacher visiting and his wife and his wife said, I don't know that I've ever heard the phrase second law of pardon. I said, well, I've heard that all my life. What do you mean you don't know what that is? Well, it's just a term or a phrase that I had heard. I'd heard other people use. But now she was familiar with the concept that we're going to talk about this morning. But we have to be careful that sometimes we don't alienate or push people away by saying something that they, maybe they don't understand. Maybe you're asking the question this morning, what's the second law of pardon? What does that mean? What are you talking about? Well, our, our goal this morning is to try to examine what that means and what that's saying a little closer. Let's begin, first of all, with a principle. One principle that we need to understand is that it is possible to become lost after you are saved. It is possible to become lost after you are saved. And hear me on it. The Bible is very clear on this matter. Now, the alternative sounds good. And by the alternative, I mean that most of us would gladly sign up for something that you said, all you got to do is do it one time. And you don't have to worry about it ever again, right? Sometimes we, that's that way with a medical procedure. Well, if you'll just go through this one time, then you don't have to worry about it anymore. You don't have to take care of it ever again. Hey, sign me up. And the alternative to this idea and this principle here sounds great. Man, if I have to be baptized and that's it, I have nothing else to worry about, that sounds good to me. But that's not the picture that the Bible paints for us when it comes to living the Christian life. And really, if we think about it, it doesn't really make sense with anything else. I mean, there are a few things in life that we can do one time and that's it. Again, maybe a certain medical procedure, you take care of your eyes one time or you have something to help your hearing and that takes care of it. But how many other things in this life does it take constant upkeep? Do we tell our children just to clean their room one time and that's it? You never have to touch it again? Obviously not. Do we have to just same thing with our house? We've been getting our house ready for you all to be coming over the next few Tuesdays through the month of April. Do we have to wash those windows and clean the side of the house just one time and that's it? No, we'll probably have to do it again, you know, before the year's over or next year. Nothing else in life, for the most part, is not one time and that's it. 
And the Bible says the same thing. Let's talk about a few passages. First of all, Luke chapter 8. Listen, first of all, to the words of Jesus. You say the Bible is clear that it is possible to become lost after you're saved. Who? How? What do you mean? First of all, the words of Jesus. Luke chapter 8 and verse number 13. Here, Jesus is explaining the parable of the sower. Do you remember the parable of the sower? That we spread seed and the seed goes on different types of ground. Luke chapter 8, verse number 13, Jesus says, But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and then these have no root, who believe for a while, and in time of temptation, fall away. Now there's another phrase you may hear us use sometimes. Maybe you've fallen away. What does that mean? Well, it's somewhat biblical here that Jesus would say that it's possible for a person to receive the word and then fall away. Look with me as well in John chapter 15. The words of Jesus again. John 15, 5 through 6. Jesus gives another real life example. Now many of us don't uh, have vines like they do that they may have had there with grapes there in the first century. We do have gardens. We do have other things we take care of. And Jesus uses an example. John 15, 5 and 6. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. But notice verse number six. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. Again, we've been working around our house. We've been working out in the yard, making sure the yard looks good as well. Dealing with branches that are dead. Branches that have withered away and fallen off. We understand that principle when it comes to trees, when it comes to a garden, when it comes to many other things. The Bible says the same thing. It is possible that maybe we are a branch that is yielding fruit because we are connected to Jesus. But once we fall away, once we are not connected to Jesus, it is possible that we can wither. And it would be better there then, it says, that we would be cast into the fire and burned. Or not better, but we would be put that way because we've fallen away. The words of Jesus. Notice as well some of the words of others. Hebrews chapter 6 and verses 4 through 6. Hebrews chapter 6. Many people believe the Apostle Paul was the writer of Hebrews, but Hebrews 6, 4 through 6. Here the Hebrew writer says, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. Again, there's a lot to unpack there. We don't have time this morning. But if they fall away. One more, look at Second Peter chapter 2. Second Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 22. 2 Peter 2, 18 through 22. We talked about this passage last week. We won't harp on it too much here. But you see again this idea that there are those who have known the truth. Those who did come to the knowledge, in verse number 20, of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Who have escaped the pollutions of the world. And in verse number 20 it says, that they are again entangled in them and overcome. And it says here, the latter end is worse than the beginning. 
And we pointed out last week, verse number 21, for it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. And verse number 22 gives us two, two very serious and really, if you'll allow me to say it, gross pictures that we can put into our mind. One's not so gross that a pig goes back to the mud. Maybe you've been like us. Our uh, little three-year-old likes to eat chocolate after supper. Sometimes, you know, as a dessert. And then we take him to the bathroom and we wash his hands. And then he comes back and he puts his hand up right in the plate of spaghetti that we had just a few moments ago. And you say, I just cleaned you up and now you're dirty again. And it's kind of silly and it's kind of frustrating. But the Bible says the same thing. Or, of course, the one that is a little more gross that a dog would return to its own vomit. That's how serious it is for us to have come to the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and to turn away again. Notice in verse number 20 again that they are entangled in them and overcome. Maybe this has been you. Maybe you recognize what it's like to feel free from sin and then to feel pulled down again. To feel like the world is just pulling on your shoulders and dragging you down into the mud again. We may have felt that. It's possible. It's very, very sad, but it is possible. We need to recognize that because that sets up for us what the second law of pardon really is. What it means. Why is there a need for a second law of pardon? We have the first law of pardon that we just talked about. God's simple plan of salvation why is there a need for the second? And that is because it is possible to go back to the mud. It is to possible to go back to the sin if we are not careful in this life. So a couple of passages. First of all, Acts chapter 8. We're going to touch on these here very quickly and what takes place. And then we're going to come back and make the application for ourselves. But first of all, Acts chapter 8. Really... The whole chapter here is great. If you remember, last week we looked at Acts chapter 8, but the last part, because of the great story that is there with the Ethiopian nobleman. In fact, it's very interesting. If you want to talk about both of God's laws of pardon, you find them both here in Acts chapter 8. The first law of pardon, becoming a Christian, making that good confession, being baptized for the remission of your sins in the Ethiopian nobleman, as he talked to Philip. But remember, we said that Philip met him on the road because he went to meet him, but he had been doing other things first. In Acts chapter 8, really beginning back up in verse number 4, we see that Philip went down to the city of Samaria, and what does he do? He preaches Christ. He preaches Jesus Christ to them. And there are multitudes who are hearing the word. And there are those who would be baptized. You come down to verses 9 through 13 and we see this. And we meet a man named Simon. Now again, sort of a phrase that we use sometimes in the church. We a lot of times call him Simon the sorcerer. Why do we do that? Well, it says it here that he was previously a person who practiced sorcery in the city. And the people liked him. They loved him. He had their attention because he could do these things or work this so-called magic that they would give him the attention. But he hears just as the others do. And in verse number 12, when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip. Paul's right there. Notice he is a candidate and obeys God's first law of pardon. He hears, he believes, he does the other things that are needed. We would know that because the Bible says it. But it says simply here that he believed and was baptized. 
So he becomes a Christian. He is added to the church in Acts chapter 8, just as they were in Acts chapter 2, just as you can do today. He was added to the church. But notice the rest of verse number 13. He was amazed when he was with Philip and seeing the miracles and signs which were done. He's amazed at these things. And then continuing on down, he sees these things that are done. As Peter and John come to them, in verse number 17, they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offers them money. He offers them money. I don't know if you got a lot of money or not, but sometimes we wish that the money that we had would buy us a lot of things. Simon here, because of his so-called sorcery practice, sees these great miracles that Peter and John and others are doing, and he wants, he wants it, and he's willing to pay for it, and he offers them money. But notice what happens there in verse number 20. Peter said to him, your money perished with you. Your money's no good here. You can't buy this because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. 21, you have neither part nor portion in this matter, and what's the problem? For your heart is not right in the sight of God. We sing a song with those words to remind ourselves that it's possible to fall away. It is possible to be lost. That maybe it's possible your heart is not right in the sight of God. So that's where Simon stands. And he's told what to do, but we'll save that for just a moment. The second passage is 1 John chapter 1 and verses 5 through chapter 2 and verse number 2. Now we talked about this passage again over the last few weeks, a couple of times. And notice what John says here, beginning in verse number five. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk not, excuse me, and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Now, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 go along with this, but we talked about that more recently. But here you have two passages, two things that go along with God's second law of pardon. One's a real-life example of Simon the sorcerer. The second is encouraging words from John on what a person should do. But again, what's a second law of pardon? What does any of this have to do with me after I become a Christian? Uh, three questions here, and the lesson will be yours. First of all, what do I do? Now, I didn't leave you any room to write down anything else. You may have some to the side if you are jotting this down. But what do I do? If I become a Christian, I obey God's first law of pardon, and then I mess up because I'm going to mess up. None of us are perfect. No deacon, no elder, no preacher, no member is going to be perfect. So what do I do once I mess up and I fall away, in a sense. Number one, you can repent. The first thing you can do is repent. Now, we're going to go back and forth for a moment. You may want to put your finger there in 1 John 1. We'll go back to Acts chapter 8. But notice now, let's see what Simon the sorcerer was told to do. Peter tells him, your heart is not right in the sight of God. So what is he told to do? Number one, repent. 
Peter says, repent therefore of this your wickedness. Now we talked about repentance last week. Repentance is something that goes along with the first law of pardon. And that we must turn away from our sin. We said that it is a changing of the mind. A changing of the mind. I'm going to stop doing what I'm doing. And then I'm going to allow that to change my life. I decide I'm going to change my mind and not do what I've been doing. But I'm going to let that show. The example we used last week was stealing. I've been stealing. I want to repent of that. I changed my mind. I changed my life. I stopped stealing. So here Simon needed to repent. He needed to change his mind. But he'd already done that. Yes, he had to become a Christian. But he was in need of it again because he had sin in his life. His heart was not right. Number one, you repent. Number two, you can confess. Again, we're going to jump back and forth. But back to 1 John chapter 1 and verse number 9. 1 John chapter 1 and verse number 9. Number one, you repent if you're a Christian. Number two, you confess. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is just and faithful. Have you ever asked something of somebody and they didn't follow through? If you ask me, there's a good chance I might not follow through. Maybe it's on purpose. Maybe it's on accident. Maybe it's just something that I've forgotten and I didn't do it. But I am not foolproof. No one else here is. But God is just and he is faithful. If we confess our sins. When you find yourself messed up, you've turned away from God, you've become lost after you become saved, you repent and you confess because God is faithful and just. But number three, you can pray. Again, back and forth, Acts chapter 8 again, this time verse number 22, continuing with the rest of it. Peter told him, repent therefore of this thy wickedness and pray. And pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. So we need to repent, we need to confess, and we need to pray. God is just and faithful. I can't emphasize it enough. I can ask you to look at your own life. I can tell you to ask me to do something, and when I forget, you'll be reminded that, yes, we're all human, but God is faithful. He is just. And if we repent of our sins, and if we confess those sins to him and pray for forgiveness, he will do just that. And how dare we sometimes, how dare we tell him that he won't do it or that he can't do it? You say, that's great, preacher, but you don't know what I've done. You don't know the things that I've done in my life. I don't. You don't know the things that I've done. But how dare we slap God in the face and say that he can't do it or that he won't do it because he has said that he will and he will forgive us if we will repent and confess of our sins after we become a Christian in this sense. Number one, what do I do? I repent of my sins, change my mind. I confess them to God and I pray for forgiveness and he will do that. Number two, who do I tell? Who do I tell? I'm a Christian. I've become saved. I've messed up. Who do I tell? Well, we've already covered number one. Number one is God. You obviously would tell God. Sin is first and foremost against God. That's what sin is. It harms him. As we saw just a few moments ago, as we were reading there, that we crucify again the Son of God. We sit here every first day of the week and we partake of this Lord's Supper and we remember His death. And we, we suffer with Him in a sense and we think about what He went through. And then we forget when we turn around and sin again that that's what our sin is doing. That we are crucifying afresh or anew or again Jesus Christ on the cross. 
That's how bad sin is. So who do I tell? First of all, I tell God. Because that is who I have hurt with my sin. But secondly, I tell anyone as public as it is needed. Let's look at a passage. Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. Who do I tell? I tell first of all, I tell God. Secondly, I tell it as public as it is needed. And let me explain. Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20, we see a, a principle set forth here, an idea of dealing with a sinning brother. Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. But if he will not hear you, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of, one, excuse me, of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. Now, there's a principle here of sin between two people. Maybe you've done something that's sinful against me or I've done something sinful against you. But I think there's a, a principle here as well of the idea that we would share things as public as they are known or as needed. We're going to hit on this a little more here in just a second. But, but if I have something that, that I've done in private, maybe a, a sinful thought I've had or something that I've struggled with, then, then I, I can tell God about it. I don't necessarily have to come forward to the front pew. I've told someone even recently as we studied together, there's nothing magical about the front pew. We're going to ask you to do it just in a mo here in a few moments as we do every time, that as we stand and sing, you can come to the front pew. That's so it can be made known, so we can recognize when someone has sin or wants prayers, but there's nothing magical about the fabric or the wood on the front pew. We make it known as public as it is needed. And let's come back to that for just a second, in, or here in just a moment. So who do I tell? I tell God, and I would tell it as publicly, maybe, as is needed or as is known. Why? Let's go back to 1 John chapter 1 one more time here. Why? Well, number one, so I am free from sin. Why do I need to partake in the second law of pardon? Why do I need to repent, confess, and pray? Why would I tell God and others? Number one, so that I am free from sin. Again, 1 John 1, 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Notice that little word there, all. Not some, not just a little bit, not just maybe what we did this last week, but all unrighteousness, all sin is done away with if we will confess, if we will walk in the light. If we will allow the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse us. That takes action on our part. That's what we're talking about. Why would I partake in this second law of pardon and do these things? So that I am free from sin. There's another lesson that we may have here together here in the near future. That uh, I've heard a couple of times by a few other preachers I'd like to share with you. And that is the idea, of course, of the security of the believer. It doesn't mean that once we're saved, we're always saved, but it doesn't also mean that you have to pray every morning when you wake up and you have to pray at lunch and you have to pray before you go to bed, or if you die, then you're lost. There's a security in being a Christian because there is the hope of heaven. Because John says that if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then the blood of Jesus cleanses our sin. There's comfort there. The Christian doesn't have to live every day worried or scared about every little thing if we are walking in the light. And there's a whole another principle and a whole another lesson there. But why do I do this? So that I am free from sin. But number two, and I think something that we don't oftentimes think about, why would I go through this? Why would I come up here to the front row and let everybody see me? I've said it here before, I know, but it's not so that people can laugh. 
It's not so that people can point and say, oh, I wonder what he did. I wonder what she did. I wonder what's wrong with them. That's not the reason. Why do we do it? Number one, so that we are clear from sin. But number two, so that others can speak on my behalf. And I think we miss this point sometimes. So that others can speak on my behalf. And let me give you a couple of very serious and less serious examples. Maybe the more serious example is, let's say that we know that we've known that someone in this congregation was committing adultery. They were in a marriage situation. They were cheating on their spouse. They were committing adultery. And we've known that. And they've stopped coming. And not only do we know that, but people in the community know that. The people at the hair salon are talking about it. The people at the football game are talking about it because they know. And they know that 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 person comes to the Saudi Church of Christ. And they know that they've been running around on their spouse. If you would come forward and repent of that sin, confess it to God and pray for forgiveness, then we can go speak on your behalf. If my wife goes to the hair salon and somebody says, did you hear about so-and-so? I heard they're running around on their husband. She could say she was or he was, but not anymore. And we can speak on behalf of each other. It's not to point and laugh, but it's that we can give encouragement in a very serious situation there. What about one that's a little less serious? You ever been to the football game on Friday night? That referee throws that flag about 10 times too many on the Saudi Daisy Trojans. And that guy starts getting a little upset. And next thing you know, he's yelling four-letter words down at the referees. Next thing you know, he's down on the fence trying to get a hold of one of the referees. And a lot of people kind of laugh and they think it's not a big deal until somebody says, did you know he goes to the Saudi Church of Christ? Did you know he's a deacon at the Saudi Church of Christ? That one that's acting out in front of the whole town at the football game? Yeah, that's a member of the Church of Christ right there. If that person would come forward, repent, confess and pray, and be forgiven because God is faithful and just to do that, then we can all speak on that person's behalf and say, yeah, you know what? I was there and I saw it, but he asked for forgiveness. He said he was wrong. He prayed for forgiveness from God, and we know that God will do that. Why would I go through this? Why would I come to a front pew and allow people to see me do that? Well, number one, it's so my life is free and clear of sin, and I'm walking in the light again. But number two, so we can speak on behalf of each other. Again, if it's something private, keep it private. You can pray to God. If it's something that maybe a couple of people know about, you can go to them and you can say, look, I'm sorry. I have prayed to God for forgiveness. I'm going to try not to let that happen again. And that be it. But if it's as public as out in front of the community, if it's as public as a bunch of people know, then we need to be able to speak on your behalf. Not to point and laugh, but to help you with your Christian wall. God's second law of pardon is just as important as the first law of pardon. And whether you knew that phrase before you came this morning or not, it doesn't really matter. But you need to understand what God's word says about walking in the light, about staying in that saved state by doing what's right as often as possible throughout our whole life as much as we can. And when we mess up, telling God about it, possibly telling others, repenting, confessing, and praying. Most of us would agree here this morning that Satan does not give up. He may have lost the battle with you because you became a Christian, but he's not lost the war yet in that sense. And he's going to keep fighting to bring you back into the mud, to bring you back into a sinful life. He does not concede that the war is over. In fact, he goes after us even harder sometimes. And we're going to mess up. What do you do? What's the second law of pardon? Well, maybe now you know a little bit better. When you mess up, when you slip and fall, you know what you can do. And not only what you do, but why you should do it. 
This morning as we conclude our lesson, we offer again, as we do each time, God's first law of pardon and God's second law of pardon. Maybe you're here and you need to become a Christian. You need to obey this simple plan of salvation. Being baptized for the remission of your sins, going down into the watery grave of baptism, not to have the dirt washed off your skin, but to have the blood of Jesus cleanse the sin from your life. Or maybe you've done that. You stand in need of God's second law of pardon. You've messed up. You've fallen away. You become lost. Again, you become entangled in the world. It's okay. God's made a second law of pardon. It's not once and you're zapped and you're dead. It's not once you mess up and you can't ever come back. The second law of pardon is there so that we can walk in the light and we can have a way of salvation even when we mess up again. The point is, through both of these things, is that it takes a change on our part to do something. Maybe you're here this morning and you need to become a Christian. Maybe you need to come back to him. Maybe you need the prayers of this congregation. We'll be singing to encourage you as we stand together and as we sing.